This e-multiple sclerosis review program is presented by DKB Med Radio. There were also two recent prospective studies that examined dose reduction of rituximab and a memory B-cell repopulation protocol for determining when to redose rituximab. They both demonstrated no significant change with modified rituximab dosing regimens. And the studies involving personalized or extended interval dosing of monoclonal antibodies in mass with anti-CD20 therapy also just suggested that similar disease control can be obtained with reduced or extended interval dosing or personalized dosing regimens. Emerging MS Clinical Options. Welcome to E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. The newer MS treatment options. Translating the research findings into actual patient improvements can be complicated and oftentimes confusing. What do the data show about BTK inhibitors? When is it appropriate to switch a patient to an extended interval or alternative B-cell depletion dosing regimen? HSCT versus high-efficacy DMT. What do the current findings suggest? To discuss those questions, we're joined today by Dr. Cole Harrington in the Department of Neurology at The Ohio State University's Wexner Medical Center. For our guest disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, emsreview.org, and select the Volume 5, Issue 10 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. Dr. Harrington, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Bob. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure to discuss new and emerging therapies for MS. We've got a lot to get to today, but first I'd like to get your opinion on something a lot of our learners are asking about, BTKI, Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitors. In fact, that's our first learning objective. Discuss the current status of BTK inhibitors under investigation for treatment of MS. In your published expert commentary, and I urge all our learners, if you haven't already, to access that document at emsreview.org, in your commentary, Dr. Harrington, you explained how orally administered BTK inhibitors block maturation of B cells but do not deplete the B cell reservoir, meaning that unlike anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody agents, BTKI are less likely to leave patients vulnerable to opportunistic infections. There are five BTK inhibitors currently under investigation. Uh, update us, if you would please, doctor, about what's known so far about these agents. Evobrutinib, in its phase two trial, reduced gadolinium-enhancing T1 lesions compared to placebo and also reduced levels of NFL, neurofilament light chain, a key marker of neural damage and inflammation. Phase three trials, Evolution RMS1 and Evolution RMS2, are underway. Tolibrutinib's phase two trial also showed reduction in new gadolinium-enhancing T1 lesions compared to placebo in a dose-dependent manner in patients with relapsing MS. Four th- phase three trials are underway in relapsing MS, primary progressive MS, and non-relapsing secondary progressive MS. Fenibrutinib has entered phase three trials in relapsing MS versus teraflunamide and primary progressive MS versus ocrelizumab and placebo. This drug is highly selective and highly potent, which can lead to potentially fewer off-target adverse events and improved therapeutic activity. Remibutinib is entering phase three trials versus teraflutamide in patients with relapsing MS. Results are expected in 2030. Orilabrutinib in 12-week 
interim analysis of its phase two trial reported that the drug led to significant dose reductions in lesion burden compared to placebo. A further 24-week data readout as well as phase three trial are in development. I do wanna add that while these results look interesting, none of the agents are currently approved for use now, nor will likely be available in the near future. That seems to be the general consensus, that while BTK inhibitors may be a valuable asset to MS treatment, right now they can't be considered for current use. Any additional thoughts on that, Dr. Harrington? BTK inhibitors, in addition to their effects on suppressing B-cell signaling, also influence myeloid cells, which includes macrophages and microglia. And evidence from animal models indicate that BTK inhibition can promote an anti-inflammatory state in these cells and promote repair. Thank you for bringing us up to date, Doctor. E-multiple sclerosis review will follow up on BTK inhibitors when new data become available. And in response to our learning objective, the most important takeaway point about BTK inhibitors is that while their use appears promising, the specific data about their effect in MS is incomplete at the present time. Now let's turn to our second learning objective and something clinicians can consider right now to improve patient care. Describe the potential benefits of extended interval or alternative B-cell depletion dosing for RRMS patients stable on B-cell depletion therapy. So take us to the clinic, if you would, please, Dr. Harrington, and start us out with a patient scenario. So here we have a 40-year-old man with RRMS. He was diagnosed at age 30 with high-risk clinically isolated syndrome, or CIS, when he had transverse myelitis attributable to his a cervical spine lesion and positive oligoclonal bands, but he did not meet the dissemination and space criteria. He was started on dimethyl fumarate and continued for five years until he had two asymptomatic breakthrough brain lesions that prompted switch to rituximab five years ago. He had been clinically stable and radiologically stable on rituximab 1,000 milligrams every six months for the past five years. Uh, his insurance did not allow for ocrelizumab. His EDSS is two. He has two cervical spine lesions and two periventricular lesions. And he comes in to discuss whether he needs to be on rituximab anymore. Um, it's difficult for him to take time off work to get a ride to the infusion center three hours away and to afford the infusion center co uh, copay cost. The barriers you've described that are interfering with his patient's ability to get his rituximab infusion. How common have you found them to be? Uh, pretty common. Transportation and infusion center costs can be significant barriers for some patients. It's also often hard to know which therapies are preferred or not covered with particular insurances. And the fact that his insurance necessitates rituximab over ocrelizumab may make it unlikely that newer B-cell depletion therapies like ublituximab could be an option. Determining this patient's suitability for a DMT treatment change, what would your first step be? I, I would first explore uh, whether he has any side effects from B-cell depletion, such as infections or reduced immunoglobulins, and whether continuing B-cell depletion would be appropriate. Let's assume, for the sake of our discussion, that he is not showing any side effects from the rituximab. If he's not had any side effects from B-cell depletion, I want to know if he's interested in extended dosing to every 12 months dosing or dosing based on B-cell counts. If he was open to an injectable of a tumumab, if his insurance would cover it would be an option. 
or he may be eligible for free drug copay assistance programs, which could spare him from having to come to the infusion center and incur the infusion center costs. Talk to us about reduced and extended interval dosing, if you would, please, doctor. What does the evidence say? Well, over the past couple of years, reduced dosing or extended interval dosing of anti-CD20 therapies has been investigated in studies with rituximab and ocrelizumab. A recent Swedish retrospective study in RRMS and high-risk CIS cohort reported that disease reactivation with dose reduction or discontinuation of rituximab was rare, and patients had a return of disease activity were those that had a significantly higher baseline EDSS. There were also two recent prospective studies that examined dose reduction of rituximab and a memory B-cell repopulation protocol for determining when to redose rituximab. They both demonstrated no significant change with modified rituximab dosing regimens, and the studies involving personalized or extended interval dosing of monoclonal antibodies in mass with anti-CD20 therapy also just suggested that similar disease control can be obtained with reduced or extended interval dosing or personalized dosing regimens. Those published results, they, they definitely look interesting, but do they address patient selection? Uh, in fact, let me get more specific. This 40-year-old man with RRMS that you brought us, what tells you that reduced or extended interval dosing might be a viable option for him? In terms of what's appropriate for his MS with his disease course, the stability on rituximab 1,000 milligrams every six months for the past five years is reassuring for the potential to be stable on annual 1,000 milligram dosing. Also, his clinical characteristics fit well with the patients described in the Swedish study, uh, as I mentioned, in which the mean age was 38 years, mean MS duration was 5.8 years, mean baseline EDS was two, and 53% had less than 20 lesions on MRI. Patients were more likely to have breakthrough disease activity with rituximab reduction had a higher EDSS score, although the difference in the EDSS was small with 2.5 compared to 2. Um, there was also a trend reported where a higher percentage of patients who had breakthrough disease activity on full-dose rituximab, which is 33% compared to 14.3%, uh, had breakthrough activity on the reduced dose compared to those who were, who were stable on reduced dose regimens. Is there anything in this patient's clinical history that might give you reservations about extending his rituximab dosing interval to every 12 months? The presence of multiple cervical spine lesions and the development of lesions on dimethyl fumarate may push me more to advocate for not extending dosing of B-cell depletion. If he's open to ofatumumab and it's more affordable, this may, may be more my preference. Uh, because it offers the ability to maintain a higher dosing regimen as well as avoiding the transportation concerns and infusion center costs. Another option would be to monitor for memory B-cell reappearance and reinfusion when the CD19 count is greater than 1% or the CD19 positive, CD28 positive is greater than 0.1% of total peripheral mononuclear cells. A treatment strategy which may have equivalent disease control in RMS with, without recent activity this was reported in the recent Swedish retrospective cohort study and an Italian prospective study. If these thresholds are reached at six months, this may also help guide the decision to maintain on full-dose rituximab or transition to ofatumumab. B-cell counts may be difficult to obtain with the patient's transportation and access to care issues, but this could be another data point to help guide treatment decision if the decision is to uh, continuing rituximab and attempting to space out the dosing interval. Thank you, doctor. 
Our learning objective is describe the potential benefits of extended interval or alternative B-cell depletion dosing for RRMS patients stable on B-cell depletion therapy. What are the key things our learners need to know? Number one, uh, the current data indicate that patients with RMS who have been stable on B-cell depletion with low EDSS scores, no breakthrough disease on therapy, low lesion burden, and less than 10 years of MS disease duration may have similar disease control on reduced dosing or extended interval dosing regimens. Number two, if access to care and transportation is an issue, opatumumab may be a good option for maintaining standard B-cell depletion dosing compared to infusion B-cell depletion agents, such as rituximab, ocrelizumab, and ubotuximab. And number three, there are over 10 studies in the past three years investigating reduced dosing of B-cell depletion in MS patients. Many studies were facilitated by reduced dosing that occurred in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And number four, memory B-cell reappearance has been used to guide reinfusion in several studies without a change in disease activity for these patient cohorts. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Cole Harrington from The Ohio State University in just a moment. It really is a very simple question. Your CME, CEU credits, have you got all that you need? Because they're still available without charge from eMultiple Sclerosis Review. It's the information you need to improve patient outcomes combined with how that new information can be applied to clinical practice. E-Multiple Sclerosis Review delivers expert clinical advice and analysis. It's accredited for nurses as well as physicians, and all programs and credits are provided without charge. Find what you need at eMultipleSclerosisReview.org. Welcome back to our E-Multiple Sclerosis Review program. We've been speaking with Dr. Cole Harrington from the Department of Neurology, at the Ohio State University's Wexner Medical Center about the potential role of BTK inhibitors in multiple sclerosis, as well as the potential benefits of extended interval or alternative B-cell depletion dosing for patients with RRMS stable on B-cell depletion therapy. Let's turn now to the final focus of today's discussion, recent developments in hematopoietic stem cell transplant, or HSCT, for the treatment of MS. And that brings us to our third learning objective. Discuss the randomized controlled trials comparing HSCT to high-efficiency DMTs in patients with RRMS and active SPMS. Uh, so if you would please, Dr. Harrington, take us back to the clinic with another patient scenario. Here we have a 30-year-old woman with highly active RRMS despite treatment with high-efficacy DMTs. She had her first onset of symptoms at 20 years old and was diagnosed at 25. At the time, she had three typical MS relapses in the prior five years that were attributed to back pain, depression, and anxiety. Her first MRI indicated a moderate lesion burden with greater than 20 brain lesions uh, without notable atrophy and greater than five spinal cord lesions. Her ADSS was four. Given her high lesion burden, disability, and young age, she elected to start her on natalizumab which she did well on without disease activity for two years until she developed high titer JCV antibodies. You then decided to pursue pregnancy and elected for two doses of ocrelizumab prior to trying for pregnancy. She did become pregnant and was started on ocrelizumab postpartum. 
Unfortunately, she had development of new lesions and one spinal cord relapse, raising her EDSS to six in the past two years while on ocrelizumab. She read about HSCT and would like to discuss if this is an option for her. There's a lot going on with this patient, doctor. Give us your initial impression, please. Well, unfortunately, this patient had a significant delay in her diagnosis, which is not uncommon. And this delay likely resulted in increased lesion burden and disability accumulation that may have been prevented where she started on DMT earlier. Uh, she did well on natalizumab prior to pregnancy, but had breakthrough activity in the past two years postpartum while on high-efficacy B-cell depletion therapy. That said, how would you approach discussing HSCT with her? Uh, first off, I would confirm that she's getting full dose in every six-month dosing of B-cell depletion therapy and that her B-cells are suppressed prior to her infusion. And if she does have suppressed B-cells on every six-month full dosing, enrolling one of the ongoing HSC trials comparing high-efficacy DMT which, with HSCT may be a good option for her. HSCT versus DMT in the treatment of MS. Uh, brief us, if you would, please, doctor, on the current data. Well, there's only one large phase three randomized controlled trial of HSCT compared to treatment with DMT and active RMS. This was published in 2019 by Burt et al. The patients in the study were similar to our patient with the inclusion criteria consisting of age 18 to 55 years old, two or more relapses or one relapse and one GAD enhancing lesion at a separate time during the prior year while on DMT. She's at the higher range of the EDSS on this trial, which included RMS patients with EDSS of two to six, and HSCT treatment had significantly reduced EDSS compared to DMT-treated uh, patients in this trial. This trial, however, because the enrollment was completed in 2016, did not include patients treated with ocrelizumab or alemtuzumab, and the majority of patients were treated with lower efficacy therapies and allowed crossover to HSCT, which limited the long-term secondary outcome assessments. What about the current trials? There are currently three ongoing phase three randomized control trials, RAM-MS, STAR-MS, and BEAT-MS, that are investigating high-efficacy DMT compared to HSCT and active RMS and active SPMS. What are the inclusion criteria for these trials? For the BEAT-MS trial, which is being conducted in the U.S., major inclusion criteria consists of an EDSS of six or less, fulfillment of the 2017 McDonald's criteria for MS, highly active relapsing MS, both RMS and active SPMS, which is defined as two or more episodes of disease activity in the past 36 months, with episodes being either a clinical relapse or MRI evidence of new disease activity. One of these episodes must occur while on oral or monoclonal antibody treatment for one or more months. One must have occurred in the last 12 months, and one episode must be a clinical relapse. And in this BEAT-MS trial, which DMTs are currently being tested against HSCT? Candidate high-efficacy DMTs for BEAT-MS are alemtuzumab, cladribine, ocrelizumab, natalizumab, rituximab, and opatumumab. The patient must have no disease activity on the candidate DMT and no treatment with the DMT in the past 12 months prior to screening. The patient must also have not received candidate DMT within three months or five half-lives from the start of the study. 
Patients are randomized to receive HSCT or DMT, and the site investigator selects from the candidate DMT. So the 30-year-old patient you brought to us, based on her clinical activity, would she be eligible for BEAT-MS? So uh, based on her clinical activities, specifically the presence of at least two episodes of disease activity in the past 36 months, with one episode occurring on more than one month of monoclonal antibody treatment and one episode being a clinical relapse, she would qualify for the BEAT-MS trial on these disease characteristics if at least one of the episodes occurred in the past year. And uh, also to mention, she would not be eligible for ocrelizumab were she to be randomized to high-efficacy DMT, but alimtuzumab, cladribine, rituximab, and opatumab would still be options. Likely, the site investigator would select alimtuzumab or cladribine as the best available therapy because she had breakthrough on B-cell depletion. You mentioned three ongoing trials for HSCT versus high-efficacy DMT, RAM-MS, STAR-MS, and as we just talked about, BEAT-MS. What are the differences between these studies? Uh, So STAR-MS and RAM-MS are based out of Europe, the UK for STAR-MS and Scandinavia for RAM-MS. These trials are similar to BEAT-MS, which is the U.S. trial, with the exception that BEAT-MS includes SPMS patients, whereas the European studies are restricted to RRMS. Otherwise, they have very similar inclusion criteria. One notable exception is that the European trials do not allow for previous treatment with high-efficacy drugs like alimtuzumab, ocrelizumab, ofatumumab, rituximab, or cladribine. The U.S. trial, BEAT-MS, requires breakthrough on oral or infusion agents and allows for the prior use of high-efficacy drugs. The high-efficacy DMTs that will be tested in the active comparator to HSC and all the trials include alimtuzumab, cladribine, and ocrelizumab. BEAT-MS and STAR-MS also include ofatumumab, and BEAT-MS also includes rituximab. So let's go back again to the patient you brought to us. Are there factors in her history that might give you pause with recommending HSCT? I would want to clarify her disease activity postpartum during the transition to ocrelizumab. If her disease activity occurred in close proximity to this transition and she has not been active in the past year on B-cell depletion, continuing B-cell depletion may still be a reasonable strategy for controlling her MS. Thank you, doctor. Let's review our discussion through the lens of our learning objective. Discuss the randomized control trial comparing HSCT to high-efficacy DMT in patients with RRMS and active SPMS. What are the most important points you'd want our learners to take away from this part of our discussion? Number one, there is one phase three randomized control trial comparing HSCT with DMT treatment and active MS, which demonstrates significantly reduced EDSS in the HSCT compared to DMT-treated cohort. Number two, the majority of patients in that published HSCT trial were treated with low-efficacy DMT. Ocrelizumab and alentuzumab were not included in the trial. Number three, there are currently three phase three randomized control trials underway to investigate high-efficacy DMT compared to HSCT in active RMS and active SPMS patients. And number four, candidate high-efficacy DMTs in the BMS trial are alimtuzumab, cladribine, ocrelizumab, natalizumab, rituximab, and ofatumumab. Dr. Cole Harrington from the Department of Neurology at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center in Columbus Thank you for this very interesting evidence-based discussion. Thank you, Bob. It was my pleasure discussing these studies with you. For eMultiple Sclerosis Review, 
I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at emultiplesclerosisreview.dkbmed.com. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. The Multiple Sclerosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med LLC. Thank you for participating.